Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I'm going to dive into John chapter 20, and uh, we'll be beginning at verse 11, so hopefully you've had a chance to get your Bibles open. And the way I want to do this this morning is, I want to lead into it with a, a short video. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if Jesus had risen today? I think that video does a great job of of showing us how it would feel if we were hearing for the very first time that it was happening for the very first time that Jesus was risen. And, and that's the question that I kind of approach this text with is, what if I was Mary Magdalene? This is the account of Mary Magdalene going out to uh, the, the tomb on Easter morning, expecting to find Jesus uh, dead, obviously struggling with how, how are we going to move the, the stone back and roll it away from the tomb. And, and all kinds of thoughts came into my mind about, you know, how do we feel when great victories uh, are won today? When I first started watching the video that you just saw, I thought, you know, that was a bunch of Patriots fans looking at the message that the Patriots had just won. Do you remember that game? I mean, I'm telling you, middle of the third quarter, uh, down 25, I confess I checked out of the Super Bowl this year. I'm like, nope, it's done. Falcons are winning. Matt Ryan's going to get his Super Bowl win. And I literally, we had a little Super Bowl party with the staff. I took all the staff, the little girls, and we went up and built a bonfire up in my little fire pit. And we're having fun burning stuff. Girls like to burn stuff too. I discovered that. And, uh, and I, you know, it, I thought it was done. And then I went down uh, late, maybe mid-fourth quarter, and all of a sudden you could tell something was cooking. 
And, and at five minutes of the fourth quarter, all of a sudden, the, the Patriots are down by only one possession, eight points. And they had been down 25 points in the middle of the third quarter. When I heard that, then I, I was like, are those girls gonna burn themselves up there? Uh, it was a struggle because already then I was starting to think, you, you know what? I th the Patriots are somehow gonna pull this out. And in that moment when you watch people celebrate a great victory, or e even the day following, if you, if you see you know, the joy and the exaltation when a great come-from-behind triumph happens, you have to believe that a little bit of that feeling was going on with the disciples when Mary ran back from the tomb. Peter and John had been there as well, and they're still a little bit mystified, Peter and John are, because all they saw was an empty tomb, some angels, but Mary actually gets to see Jesus alive. Can you put yourself in her shoes? I want to read to you this account of, of how that went down. Mary uh, had been out very early in the morning. The Bible tells us it was before dark. Uh, she went out with a group of women. They were planning to, um, to finish off the burial rites for Jesus, get him completely with the, the spices and completely wrapped up nice and tight for burial uh, because it had been sort of a rush job for Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and the others who had laid him in this tomb real quickly before the Sabbath day started. So they were going out there to finish the job, worried that they wouldn't know how to roll the stone away. And when they got there... They, they found this. They found that the stone had already been rolled away. And so they run back, get Peter and John racing out. John wins. Peter looks in. He goes inside. Jesus is not there. Everybody is confused. And Mary is confused and distraught. Let's take a look. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. There would have been a little bench inside the tomb, and that's where the angel would have, angels would have been seated. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I, I don't know where they have, have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She still doesn't understand who she's talking to, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus once said, my sheep hear my voice. So look what happens. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, literally means my teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for 
I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things. As you read through that, it's clear that (laughs) Mary is her mind is being bent and she is asking one of the great philosophical questions of all time and maybe it's a question that you've asked yourself and it's this question, wait, what? Wait, what? This, what's going on here? And I I know I've seen things after the Patriots won Super Bowl 51, (laughs) I went, wait, what? Because these are things that you don't expect to have happened. Now, maybe you've heard people challenge the resurrection, and and one of the challenges to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that maybe he didn't really die. Maybe he didn't fully die, and so this really wasn't a true resurrection. He just sort of was laid in the tomb where he recovered, and then somehow managed to... uh, slide the stone over, a very heavy stone that this whole group of women were saying, I, I don't uh, think we can manage to do this. I don't know how, how we're going to get this back. And by the way, women in Jesus' day were physically hardy because they spent a lot of time out in the fields. This was an agrarian society for the main part. Here's the thing, and, and, and I want to walk you through this. Understand who Mary was. And and again, there have been all kinds of rumors and and false stories told about Mary. Maybe you've heard, for example, that Mary was a prostitute. Mary Magdalene, nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was a prostitute. And, And yet, even in our culture today, it continues to be thought by most people that this this lady was a prostitute. Now, we can't prove that she wasn't a prostitute. We can't prove that she was. All I'm saying is, this is what happens over time. People build up these legends about people. What Mary was is just as an amazing and astounding turnaround. If she was a prostitute, obviously, what an amazing uh, grace and forgiveness that the Lord showed her. That's fantastic. And I, and I hope that all of you know that whatever your sin is that you came here with today, that's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. I don't care what it was. It's forgiven. What Jesus did that we do know from the Bible, Luke chapter 8, is that Jesus drove seven demons out of this woman. Now, can you imagine what a turnaround in her life that represented to have been possessed, not by one, not by two, not by three, but by seven demons. To have Jesus one day come up to you in a little village called Magdala and say, demons depart from her and to be cleansed of all of that and to be delivered and free. Any of you who have demons in your life, real or otherwise, you're just facing demons. And if you've ever been released from the burden of the the demons of your life, whatever they might be, you know the amazing feeling of freedom 
to have accomplished that release. And Mary experienced that. She began to follow Jesus as the other disciples. And in fact, there was a group of women, Luke chapter 8 tells us, that along with Mary followed Jesus and even helped provide for him physically with the money that they had. They used some of their living money to, to support Jesus and his ministry. It appears that Mary Magdalene, like the other male disciples that we're so familiar with, from that point on was following Jesus and, and with him pretty much every step. What we do know for sure is that in Jesus' last hours, Mary was there. The Bible's very clear to tell us that Jesus was there, or that Mary was there at Jesus' trial. She waited and watched as, as this whole drama of, of his trial before the high priest and Pilate played out. She watched as then, as a result of that, Jesus was beaten and flogged and spit upon and mocked. She watched, this poor woman watched, as the Romans took a scourge, which was a whip made of multiple straps of leather with little pieces of metal worked into the leather, she watched and witnessed as Jesus' back was laid open, wide open, by the straps of that scourge. She was there as at the end of this brutal beating that left most men already just a hair's breadth from death. As they said, you're going to carry your own crossbar out to Golgotha where we're going to execute you. You're going to carry your own instrument of execution. And they put this hundred pound plus wooden crossbar on Jesus' back. Nearly dead, Jesus stumbles through the streets of Jerusalem, bleeding, his flesh falling off, and he's carrying this hundred pound crossbar. Mary is trailing behind him. Jesus can't make it. Simon of Cyrene finally has to be asked to carry the crossbar to Golgotha. And you know, don't you, what happens there? Just in case you haven't heard, Jesus is nailed with seven or eight inch spikes onto that crossbar and then onto the vertical bar as well and lifted up and crucified. The most excruciating, in fact, the word excruciating comes from the Latin excrucis, which means from the cross. When we say excruciating pain, we mean pain like being crucified. And Jesus was there, and Mary was here watching it all go down. This brutal death was so horrible that Men who were crucified often gave up and just let themselves sag. And when they let themselves sag, what, what really killed you in being crucified was the as asphyxiation. You couldn't get oxygen inside your bloodstream, and that's what killed you. It was like having a pillow over your face, but worse, far more painful. So the Romans, being the Romans figured out a way to make the torture last longer. They designed this little wooden crossbar. Most of the people who were crucified were men. And the crossbar went right into their, below their crotch so that when they let themselves sag down, guys, we all know what happens. 
the pain would be so horrible that by reflex you'd lift yourself up again and the death would last longer. I'm not giving you these details to torture you. I'm not just giving you these details to help you understand the depth of the price that Jesus paid for your sins and mine. It's Easter, and what I'm doing in giving you these details is help you understand why Mary, quite naturally, quite logically, had only one conclusion to come to, and that is Jesus was dead, really, truly dead. Because at the end of all of that, at the end of being within a hair's breadth of his life, already being beaten back in the court, carrying the cross, being crucified for hours in the hot sun, a Roman soldier came to make sure he was dead and jabbed a javelin into his side, stuck that pike in there, and watched as separated blood and water flowed out. If you have any doubts that Jesus died on that cross, I hope this little story tells you he was dead. He was truly dead. And so do you see why as Mary and the other ladies are, are going out there on Sunday morning and they, they can't find Jesus in the tomb, what's the most natural thought? The most natural thought is, oh, maybe he recovered. When they discover the empty tomb, the most natural thought is somebody's stolen the body. Somebody's taken his body and put it somewhere and we don't know where they put him and this just makes it all more excruciating. We wanted to deal with some of our grief by preparing his body for burial and now we can't even find the body. You see... Talk about a dramatic come-from-behind victory. This is three days of come-from-behind. And when that stone is rolled away and the angels are there, and when Jesus talks to Mary and says, Mary, it's me. And she looks and she clears the tears from her eyes. And she finally recognizes this is her Lord and her Savior, and he's alive. Wait, what? How can this be? I saw it all play out. There's no way. And yet, here he is, and her reaction to understanding that this is Jesus alive is to go, other gospel accounts tell us this, and she wraps her arms around Jesus' knees. And that's why Jesus has to say to her, Mary, don't, don't hold on to me. I almost picture Jesus, this isn't here in the account as you can see, but just kind of gently unfurling Mary's arms from around his knees. Don't hold on to me. Don't stay here and cling to me because I have to ask you to do something for me. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Now, can you imagine what the trip back 
from there to the disciples was like, Mary's head had to be spinning. And, and this is something that I want all of you to realize. If you hear about the resurrection and there's a, an element inside of you, perhaps even a big element inside of you that your head spins at this, that, that you want to say, wait, what? That, that, it, that it's going to take you some time to process that the Bible is teaching us that Jesus actually physically rose from the grave here, not rose in the disciples' hearts spiritually. The resurrection is not a metaphor. It is real history. And Christianity is rooted in real history. And that is the beauty of this Christian faith that we trust in. You, you can find faiths that are filled with all kinds of mystical things and, and, and purported miracles and awesome acts of power. You can find faiths. For those of you who are the deep thinkers in this room that are filled with philosophy and, and, and have built these very intricate philosophical systems, you, you can find faiths for those of you that need more rules in your life and need more guidance in your life that are filled with rules, filled with that kind of guidance and wisdom. But none of them, like Christianity, is rooted in actual historical fact. And, and I hope you know this. I hope you know that while we have these amazing accounts of the resurrection, that you can even look outside the Bible. You, you can look to people like Josephus, sort of the, the big you know, historian of his day, famous scholarly historian, who reports that this is what happened. Jesus was reported to have risen from the grave. And not just Josephus, but many others. Our faith, like none other, is rooted in history. Jesus' victory and Jesus' resurrection, like none other, is rooted in truth and actuality and history. And when you think about that, you have to realize even today, just like the video showed us, there is reason for amazing joy because the results and the ramifications of what it means for you and me today are still very important. So here's what I want you to write down. Mary wrapped her arms around Jesus, but could she wrap her mind around the resurrection? That's the question. She's running back to those disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She's going to be able to wrap her mind around this. In the days and weeks to come, is she going to be able to wrap the, her mind around it? And my question for you today is, are you going to be able to wrap your mind around the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's interesting because as you read the Bible, there are so many people that, that struggled to wrap their mind around Jesus. The Apostle Paul was one of them. In fact, he struggled so deeply to wrap his mind around Jesus and this reported resurrection stuff that he actually took it as false teaching that was leading people astray, and he, he felt like he had to root that out and rid the world of Jesus. And that's how he began to do his thing. That's how we 
come to know him as the person who was there to persecute Christians and wipe this faith off the face of the earth until one day when Jesus himself encountered Paul as he was going to a city named Damascus. And like Mary, from whom seven demons were driven out, Paul, when he saw Jesus there standing before him alive, realized there's something different about this Christianity thing. And and Paul's heart was moved from being an enemy of the cross of Christ to being the cross's biggest advocate. And he began to in a moment with his 180 degree changed life, he began to go and learn more and feed himself more and go back and study the Old Testament some more. And then finally, he was pulled by the Holy Spirit into sharing this message with the Gentiles. He came to a city named Corinth. Corinth was in southern Greece, and this became one of the places where Paul stayed for several years, stayed for a long time, and and, and taught the gospel, taught Jesus to these people. And in his letter to the Corinthians is the longest chapter, if if you ever want to know where's the best place to read about the resurrection, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where this transformed Paul says, The resurrection is the core and the center of everything we as Christians believe because the resurrection of Jesus destroys death, assures us that our sins are gone, they're forgiven, and tells us that we can experience a triumph like none other. Now this year has been filled with some pretty cool triumphs. Like, I mentioned one, the Patriots, right? If I were to ask you, what's another big, big sports triumph of this year? Anybody want to guess? Put that slide up. 108 years. 108 years. And I'm sure you've heard about it. The curse of the billy goat right? And even when they were in the World Series, I think most of us were convinced there's no way. It's been over 100 years. The Cubs are not going to win. They are a complete study in futility. I don't care how far they get. They're not going to make it over the top. And besides which, they're still contending with the curse of the billy goat. And so... Of course, it has to end in dramatic fashion, not in a normal nine-inning game, but in ten innings. And finally, one of the Cleveland players gets up there and hits a little dribbler to the third baseman who fields the ball with everybody holding their breath in Chicago, and the third baseman fields it and throws it to Anthony Rizzo at first base, and boom, that ball falls into the mitt, and everybody goes, Oh, wait, what? The Cubs just won? Are you kidding me? That's what I hope you're feeling. Only on a thousand times greater scale. 
as you hear what Mary experienced, what the apostles experienced. And I hope that's what you hear in the, in the voice of, of the apostle Paul as he writes to the Corinthians. Wait, what? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory, the triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that as you here today are saying, wait, what? Jesus rose from the grave? That you have that emotion that Paul so clearly has. This is a great victory for us. Sin is defeated, which means death is defeated because the wages of sin is death which means Satan is defeated, which means eternal life is now mine through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you're going, yes. Because Christ's resurrection, please write this down, is a triumph like none other. And the personal implications of this triumph are staggering. And I want to run you through four. This is what it means for you right now. This is why if Jesus rose today, you would be grabbing your smartphone and texting your neighbor and telling them, it's true, he's risen. Do you know what it means for you? And why you'd have that video being played out today if it happened today. So let's take a look. I want to go back a bit because we've been going in this uh, Jesus, Son of God series for a little while. For those of you who are new here today, let me just review so we've been talking about how Jesus showed himself to be the son of God. And as he went around, there's so many different aspects that, that, he, that he showed himself to be God's son. Number one was just his teaching. People heard him teach and they were like, we have never heard someone teach like this. He's even better than Pastor Jeff. He's even better than Pastor Dan. No one's ever taught us like this before. He's brilliant, he's wise, he's filled with love and grace. Then add to that, it, <laughs> he's going around healing people. People who are blind can see when they leave Jesus. People who are deaf can hear when they leave Jesus. If they've been lame, I don't care if it's been for 40 years. We had one story where a guy had been lame for 40 years. He got up, picked up his mat, and walked away healed. Healing after healing after healing. Jesus did things that people had never seen before. They watched him walk across the surface of the water, on top, not swimming, just walking on the water like it was ground. They observed as 5,000 people got hungry, and some of them were worried. The disciples, I think, they might have been a little worried they were going to get hangry out there in the wilderness, and so they start going, and Jesus says, well, how are we gonna feed these people? And finally, the end of the story is, with a few loaves and a few fish, Jesus feeds 5,000 males, add the females and the children, probably over 10,000 people, with a few loaves and a few fish. There were some who were reluctant to believe teachers of the law, the religious law, the Pharisees. And so they kept challenging Jesus. On one occasion, they came to Jesus after all of this, 
And they, they had heard it. They weren't ignorant of these things. And they said to Jesus, maybe something you've said to God before, and that is, just one more sign, Jesus. One more miracle. One more proof that you're really real, that you really love me, that you're there and I can trust you. Ever said that to God? Just one more? Like, I, 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 I pretty much believe that you're the son of God, Jesus, but just one more. After Jesus had taught the way he taught, healed all those people, multiple illnesses and diseases, miracles galore, one more. Just one more, Jesus. Jesus is so amazingly filled with grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. You know what he does? He says, okay, okay. I'll give you one more, but I'm not going to give it to you today. Here's what's going to go down. You just watch, you wait, and here's what you're going to see. I am going to die, and just like Jonah, I'm going to be buried for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. Think of Jonah, think of me, and if something happens like that that's similar, death, three days, rising then you'll know that I am truly who I say that I am, the Son of God, your Lord and Savior. Take a look. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation, he's talking to these Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I think one of the things that Mary was thinking as she ran back to the disciples, and remember what she says when she gets there, I have seen the, anybody remember? The Lord. And the word used there that, that Mary uses is the same word that was used by the Greeks when they translated the Old Testament for the name of God. I have seen the Lord. He's alive. He must be who he claimed to be, guys. And that's what I want you to write down. Here's the first major implication of the resurrection, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God and your Lord and your Savior from sin. Here's the second implication. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. That's that chapter I mentioned earlier. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus rose from the grave and he's only the first of many is what that means. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all, what does it say? All will be made alive. That's you. That's you. You can know that death is not final. Because Jesus' death was not final. Remember Mary? 
Remember how I told you she, she probably was following Jesus around pretty much like the male disciples, and we don't have it recorded in every little chapter that she was there or not. We do as far as his death goes. But I have to believe that Mary was there when Jesus was called by another Mary and her sister Martha because their brother Lazarus was dying. And Jesus came there, but he came after Lazarus had already passed away, after he'd already died. Martha comes sort of steaming out a little bit, meets Jesus on the road and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have had to die. She gets the power of Jesus. And she's a little frustrated that Jesus in her mind is late. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? Before then, he went and raised her brother Lazarus from the grave, showing us again that death is not final. He said, Mary, or Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? Martha says, yeah, I know on the last day there'll be a resurrection. And do you remember what Jesus says there? It's so important. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Me. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. He who believes in me truly can be said he will never die because he will go to eternal life. This is what I want you to write down. The second big implication of Jesus' resurrection is that your death and mine is not final. If you've ever asked yourself this question, is there something more? Is there something beyond this life? Jesus' resurrection tells us there is. Because Jesus tells Mary, I'm going to be with my father and your father, with my God and your God, and one day you're going to come there and be with me. There is life after this life, and through faith in Jesus Christ, you and I can enjoy that. The resurrection proves it. Death is not final, but in Christ there's a life that follows this life, and it's waiting for me. The third implication The third implication has got to be dealing with her own grief. And I don't know who of you have maybe gone through something that you're deeply grieving from the past year. I I shared with you a few weeks ago that uh, my mother-in-law, the hub of my wife's family, passed away. Um, She was in her 80s. Just an amazing woman. And we all had our grief to deal with. And and while we were dealing with our grief, uh, a psychologist had told me one time many years ago, when when you lose someone or, or something important to you, it's like having a leg cut off. Like a part of you, a major part of you is gone. And now you have to deal with life as if you would deal with the life without two legs because of, 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 of the important role this person played in your life. Who played a more important role in Mary's life than Jesus? And walking out to the tomb in the darkness of that Easter Sunday morning, she had to be thinking, how am I gonna deal with my grief? We know that she was weeping. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is alive, and she's got to be thinking, My time with Jesus is not over. Someone just sewed my leg back on and it works. Man, what a difference to know that the one that you thought, I will never see him again, is right there. 
Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're grieving, whatever your struggles or obstacles or problems or troubles you're facing in life, never doubt for a moment that because of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is still with you. He promises that he's with you every step of that painful way and that he will help you and that he will love you and that he will always embrace you in his grace and forgiveness. He promises, right before Jesus was going to ascend, he told all of his disciples, this is after his resurrection, come up to Galilee and meet me, and I want you to see what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We call that the Great Commission. But often in the Great Commission, this last promise gets lost. Here's what I want you to underline, these words. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. This is Jesus speaking to you. And surely, I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Please never doubt that for a moment. That Jesus is alive means that he can make this promise and make this promise stick that he is with you through everything you're experiencing, the ups and the downs of life. Write this down. My future with Jesus is not over. He is with me. And here's the final implication, the final major result to take home with you today. There's a, a Harvard professor Actually, a, a dean of the School of Graduate Education, his name is James Ryan. James Ryan is a very well-known uh, person, both in education circles and in legal circles, because this very brilliant Harvard guy got degrees both in education and in law. He's an attorney, he's also an expert in education, and uh, as I said, he's the dean of that school at Harvard. And he has a very famous video out called The Five Questions Everybody Should Be Asking Themselves in Life. I already told you what the first question was. I've been asking it all morning long. You know what it is? The first question, five major questions you should ask in life. The first one is, wait, what? That all of us need to sometimes just wait, pause, and get clear on stuff. And that's what we're doing this morning with the resurrection. We're pausing and we're getting clear. What does this resurrection mean to me? But I like James Ryan's fifth question even better. What truly matters in life? What truly matters in life? You see, do you think that when Mary Magdalene had seven demons driven out of her, the answer to what truly matters in life dramatically changed for that young lady? I think it changed like night and day. When, when the apostle Paul was converted on that road to Damascus and went be, from being an enemy of Jesus Christ to being Jesus Christ's biggest supporter, the cross's biggest supporter, the one who loves to talk about God's forgiveness for you, his grace to you, the one who wrote a whole chapter about the resurrection? Do you think his answer to the question, what truly matters in life, changed when he became a disciple of Jesus Christ? It changed dramatically. 
And here's what I'm going to promise you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, what truly matters in your life, it changes. When you begin to believe that Jesus truly, physically rose from the grave to win forgiveness, new life, and eternal salvation for you, there's nothing more important in your life than that relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. It changes everything. I personally experienced it at 16 when I became a Christian for the first time. Many of you have experienced that dramatic change. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as, what are those next words? Of first importance. Here's what truly matters to me, Paul says. There's nothing more important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. You want today's results, today's dramatic ramifications for believing that the resurrection is real? There's none more dramatic than the answer to this question. What truly matters in life? Because nothing matters more than Jesus, his grace and forgiveness, the eternal life that he gives you, and the life of purpose that he wants to grant you to share this message with others. Brothers and sisters, can you see that? The resurrection means that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, your Lord and Savior. The resurrection proves to you that your death is not final. This life is not all there is. There's another life waiting for you in Christ. And your future is not over with Jesus. He tells you, I am with you every day, every step of the way. And finally, what's important to you is gonna continue to change and become more and more in line with what Paul lays out here, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are here today because you've said to yourself, something about my life has to change. My life's not going the direction that I want it to go. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will do that for you if you just get in relationship with him through faith. Maybe some of you are okay with the direction your life is going. You feel relatively content and happy, but yet there's something missing. You're not fully at peace yet. Let me tell you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can give you the full, deep peace that God wants you to have. Maybe you're, some of you are here because you did go through a period of, of grief this past year. Maybe you're going through things in life that are so challenging it makes you want to give up, and all you want is a little hope. Maybe you want to know that there truly is a life after this life, something better, something more to live for. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you all of those in one neat package. He is risen and he is alive and he is here for you. Let's pray. Lord, with Paul, we say to you, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we no longer have to let our sins weigh us down. We are forgiven. 
Thank you, Lord, that we no longer have to carry around the baggage of our past. That has been cut away by the death and resurrection, the perfect sacrifice, the rising from the dead of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that this life is not all there is, but you came to offer us an amazing new life in heaven for eternity with you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I pray that every person in this room as they ask themselves in the days and weeks to come, wait, what? will become even more convinced that as they pause and reflect on this truth of the resurrection, that this is a game changer, not just for the world, but for them individually. Lord, I pray that you'll bring people back to Crosswalk for the final three weeks of this series that, that they can hear the events that that come after Easter and become even more convinced that you are the Son of God, their Savior. Lord, we are grateful and we say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the triumph like none other in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Whoo, that Patriots victory was amazing, wasn't it? The Cubs, 108 years, amazing. But none even close to as amazing as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was truly a triumph like none other. Now, if you're not feeling quite like those people who were texting on that video yet, I want to encourage yourself today, encourage you today and, and the rest of the week to just do what James Ryan encouraged us to do. Pause and think a little bit about it and say, wait, what? What really just happened for me right there? And I hope those four points that we gave you today, that'll be a great starting point for you to just meditate on what this means for you because he is risen. He is alive. And that is a triumph for you like none other. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. Have a great Easter week in the Lord. We'll see you back here next week. Hopefully see you on the patio. If you need to be prayed with, come on down front.